0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at Supex, the startup expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Alma Marston. She's the CEO of Marston Consulting and an author of Type R, Transformative Resilience for Thriving in a Turbulent World. Alma, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think your topic of what we're going to cover today is pretty much bang on for kind of what's happening in the world today but maybe before we get into all that stuff let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure well actually today we're speaking from London uh, or I'm calling you from London uh, where I've lived for the past nine years but I uh, grew up on the west coast of the U.S. Um, first in Santa Fe, New Mexico until I was about eight and then in Los Angeles. Nice. Um, so I'm a little bit city mouse, a little bit country mouse. (laughs) Sure.
0: That's great. So walk me through kind of your educational background because you, you went to University of California, Santa Cruz, correct?
1: Yeah. So if I understand some of the interest of your listeners, I might actually start before college. Sure. Um, So as a middle schooler, I was really struggling. Uh, I was in public school and I had teachers that acted like babysitters and there was just a lot of kind of hard social stuff going on. Um, And so I wasn't doing well in school and my mom was able to get me into a fantastic school that focused it on um, art and science and also on kind of community involvement uh, in Santa Monica. Very and cool. that really was a game changer for me. Um, you know, within a couple months of going to the school there, uh, it's called crossroads. Um, I was already on, you know, the top student list. Wow. I was running student groups, um, around a range of social and political issues, okay. doing stuff like cleaning up the beaches in Santa Monica, Um, But one of the things that was so great about this school is that even though we were relatively young, um, they had us engaging in stuff like conversations around ethics and the type of stuff that you would be talking about in university or graduate school. Um, But it was also just a fantastic community that really gave me a chance to kind of come out of um, myself a bit and really figure out some of what was most important to me, what I believed in, that kind of launched me in a different way than had I stayed um, in the school that I previously was in and not doing so well. Um, So although university was fantastic and very interesting studying at UC Santa Cruz, in a way... um, a pivotal point for me was even earlier than that at this school in LA, and so I really owe them a, a debt of gratitude, and I stayed close to that community. Um, but yeah, I did go on to study at UC Santa Cruz, and um, I did a double major in environmental science and uh, Latin American politic and, politics and arts, interesting. Um, and... Then went on to move up to the Bay Area, and I worked with um, several NGOs to start with. And you know, in that process, realized that a lot of the issues that I cared about were affected by big picture trends like economic policy and trade policy. Okay. Um, so that, again, kind of changed my trajectory. And in fact, Um, I owe one of my employers a debt of gratitude for laying me off. Um, Okay,
0: interesting. (laughs) Most people wouldn't say that. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that a little
1: bit? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of type R, which we'll come to more. um, So I had this job at an environmental NGO and... um, they got a new director and it was, um, you know, he brought in a new team with him and they restructured the whole organization. And in the process, they decided that um, instead of having my role, which was focused in one issue area, they wanted somebody back East who played my role, but across the organization. So I got booted and, um, you know, it really stung. But the reality is that I had already quickly outgrown that job and um, it helped me push onward onto what um, was really pivotal for me which was going to graduate school at Columbia University for international relations and studying some of those bigger picture issues like trade and economics and um, how it relates to you know business today and and all the big picture social issues that have become, very turbulent and um, that we'll probably talk about later, but part sure. of which compelled me to um, write this book, Type R.
0: Sure. So uh, before we kind of get into the book, you also run a consulting firm that I think we should maybe cover before we, we get into the book. But so sure. what did you, why did you decide to kind of found your own company and, and what do you guys exactly do?
1: Sure. Um, well, my life has continued to be um, a kind of series of interesting pivot points. Uh, I actually came to London to work for uh, a nonprofit, advising um, the UK government, the the EU governments, et cetera, on a range of uh, investment issues. And then, you know, after a few years. Um, It was time for me to move on. One, I felt it was time to move out of the not-for-profit sector because so much of the challenges that we face in the world, I feel, need um, solutions across sectors, Um, but also that my own skills could be applied in so many different ways. And so, in At the end of 2011, I established this consultancy that focuses on strategy and leadership advising. Um, and in overlap with your podcast, really looking at strategy and leadership, particularly for the future. Sure. Um, so, you know, looking at what the world is going to need, what type of leadership that we need for a quickly changing world. Um, and so... You know, we, we do a range of work, but um, it's strategy advising for everybody from Fortune 500 and footsie companies to the United Nations. Wow. Um, in the early days, we had several um, NGO clients, though not as much anymore. But we would help them figure out the landscape of a new environment that they were trying to enter Um and influence, so either starting up new businesses or trying to influence policy in new areas where they just didn't understand the players um, or the big-picture trends that were going to make them um, either face risks or opportunities, uh, you know, what their specific contribution could be. So, a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes strategic advising like that, um, but I along with teams that I often build um, fit for purpose for specific projects, do a lot of um, coming up with pieces of thought leadership. So uh, new issues that are affecting us today, what do those look like? Um, you know, what's taking place? What are the questions we need to think about um, I often describe it as if you were sending a man to the moon or a woman to the moon and they needed a flag to kind of put on the moon when they land that um, kind of describes what they're about, particularly as they kind of step out into a new world. Um, I would probably, along with my team, be the the person or the people designing that flag. Um, That's great. And then there's, you know, leadership development as well as doing... Uh, training and assessment around organizational structures and organizational change
0: sure no that's that's great i I think it, it's it's really cool and I think that's kind of a good kind of segue into the book because and i I try to do it with the show like obviously we don't need to mention all the negative stuff that's happened in the world currently you know and what I've been trying to do with the show is kind of talk about the positive stuff right and kind of inspire people for change and i think you know that's what you're really trying to do with kind of type uh, type r transformative resilience for thriving in a turbulent world is is that kind of a, a very general kind of summary of, of what you're trying to do with the book and and just kind of the type r um leader type kind of person because i i think for me anyway, the you have this like forget type A's and type B's, the future lies with type R's, The individuals, leaders, business families and communities that turn challenges in into opportunity in times of upheaval, crisis and change was really kind of a powerful statement, I, I think anyway.
1: Yeah. So um, I kind of prefaced it with my own experience of being laid off from my job years ago sure. and how it. Um, launched me forward once I was able to see beyond that feeling of being hurt or having lost a certain opportunity. Um, It very much speaks to the heart of Type R. Um, So just to slow it down for people in case they missed it, um, Type R's are the resilient individuals, leaders, businesses, um, even communities the turn challenges into opportunities, growth, and, and innovation. Sure. Uh, and this takes place in a number of different ways. It applies to a number of different contexts. But we really are focusing on the positive. Sure. Um, that's not to rush beyond the fact that we may have had significant losses, uh, significant illness, or you know, real setbacks. Um, So we're not trying to be Pollyanna and tell people, you know, forget about it, just put a happy face on it. Um, But it's really about reframing and looking at what can come out of difficult situations, um, some of which are extremely difficult and are the kind of thing that you would never wish for yourself, let alone even your worst enemy. Sure. Um, And yet we see again and again that there are people who... um, People, teams, organizations that come away with real progress, new insights, new ways of working or living their lives um, that just wouldn't have been possible without this difficult catalyst.
0: Sure. Well, but I also think too, and again, just to not like downplay kind of the negative things, but I think showing people that are maybe you know in a, in an, some hard times that. Other people have kind of pulled through it and that they could potentially or, or pull through it too. And just giving them kind of a support system of learning from other people that, you know, they've overcame some big challenges in, in their life too. I, I think that in itself is, can be really useful for, for some people.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, the writing of this book came about, um, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Sure. Um, And what I haven't mentioned, speaking of mothers, is that I actually co-wrote this book with my mother, uh, which years ago is not what I would have expected to be doing with my career, but has been really a wonderful opportunity. Um, And this has been part of my professional progression and development as well. So to kind of go back to the background piece while bridging to the book itself, um, a few years ago while starting my consultancy Uh, I went through a number of challenges all at once. Um, The UK government increased the requirements for my uh, visa to be here quite rapidly um, overnight. So that put me under a lot of pressure as a new business owner. Sure. Uh, I was dealing with the financial crisis and all of the pressures of that. Um, My father was in a horrible car accident and had to have a leg amputated um, and I myself uh, ended up hurting my back, you know, being under so much pressure. Um, and in parallel to that, my mom, whose background is, you know, 30 plus years as a psychotherapist and corporate consultant, um, she had become an entrepreneur and kind of a startup founder later in life. And... Um, in response to the financial crisis, had been building this online uh, platform to help people in companies figure out um, stress and work-life balance type issues. Uh, But it was really challenging for both of us, and we were supporting one another as mother and daughter um, going through this. Um, But our conversations came to the fact that, you know, we're under such converging pressures now sure and our new normal really is this perfect storm of personal professional and global turbulence and challenges and it wasn't just us facing this um, it was you know our clients it was people all around us um, whether in corporations whether you know family friends what have you um, so that brought us to collaborate on this. And and what's interesting is that I was just on the verge of starting uh, another business with um, another, uh, you know, business professional or kind of business expert sure. right at the point that, that my mom and I were talking. And it just turned out that the power dynamics were wrong, you know, as often can happen in founding teams. And sure. it's not about, who's right or wrong, but um, it's interesting, because I was just at such a crossroads, and I was facing all of these challenges, and um, looking for new skills, as I had been grappling with all of these issues, and um, so my mom and I started testing out, you know, what new contribution could we make to this space, and I don't know how familiar you are with conversations around resilience, um, Uh but...
0: A little bit, but I'm curious to get your kind of take on it.
1: Well, you know, what has taken place in the past is that you either have these conversations that are very narrowly focused on individuals, psychology, um, sometimes self-help. Or you have these really big picture conversations that are about macroeconomics and how does an economy bounce back after a financial crisis and what have you. But there's been very little in between. Um, And yet my mom and my own experience was showing us that as people, as businesses, you know, as communities were stretched between these two extremes of being individuals who live in these big picture scenarios and are affected by everything from financial crisis to climate change to big political changes like Brexit. Sure. Um, and so, you know, really what the focus of our work together is and, and what makes our work complementary in this book kind of different is that we're talking about starting with ourselves, because, you know, we are the building blocks of everything else that we do, um, and building our own skills, but then taking that into our professional lives, um, you know, our ability to reframe challenges, to learn from them, to draw on resources in new ways to adapt to our external environment um, to take all of that into how we build startups or how we lead organizations, um, how we lead, you know, whole communities or nations, but also how we engage with the big picture challenges that are affecting all of us today. Um, So you might not be particularly interested in environmental issues or climate change, for instance, but this year Multiple communities were pounded by these massive superstorms totally, yep. that, you know, there were supposed to be like a one in a thousand year event. And yet we had four of them in one year, yep. um, which totally affected individuals uh, and their families and their communities. But it also shut down businesses. Um, it also posed national challenges and, you know, bigger questions for us about internationally, how we respond Um, So that is, you know, one, some of how my mom and I came to collaborate, but also how we're moving the conversation beyond where it's previously been Um, and trying to focus on type R's, which is really about, um, you know, these people, groups of people, businesses that have certain capabilities, but above all have uh, a mindset or a collective mindset or culture which says, okay, these really difficult things have happened, but we have a core belief that we have the ability to reframe, to learn, to grow, and to make something new from all of this, even if we also acknowledge that there have been losses that we would have rather not had.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, it's interesting to me, and something that I read a number of years ago, and I wish I would have remembered who it was, And I I get that it's a very oversimplification, but it really kind of got me thinking. It was like, basically, the quote was something along the lines of, like, it doesn't really matter if, like, there's a recession or it's a good time or bad time in the economy, that you basically there's still like trillions of dollars floating around the global kind of, you know, markets. And if you want a piece of it, you, you need to figure out how to get a piece of it. And if you don't, that's okay too. But you should at least know that like, just you can still make money kind of in good times and bad times. And I get that's like a very oversimplification of it. And like, if you're in a war-torn country or, or stuff like that, like that's incredibly challenging. And sometimes you're just trying to, you know, survive and get your next meal and that probably doesn't apply. But I think sometimes people... So use it like something like a downturn in the economy to kind of like poor me like and and when you know they're capable of potentially pulling themselves out of that and and doing their own thing or business or or help their community where i think sometimes we forget about that do you agree with that or is that kind of a pretty naive statement
1: No, I mean, uh, it's, uh, you're talking about it through a very business and revenue focused lens, but that is a reality for many people. Um, it's broader than that because there are ways in which you can learn and grow, uh, that aren't just revenue related, but it is true that people, um, do find all sorts of opportunity in adversity, um, my own circumstance, I've just told you a story about sure. how these years of difficulties um, and sharing that with my mom has led to us writing a book and doing consulting totally. uh, with organizations and you know leaders, corporates that are trying to build this skill set. So I am an example of that. Sure. Um, let me also give you a, an example that I find very inspiring sure. and think will be for listeners as well. Um, so one of the people that we've had the pleasure of meeting on this journey of research and writing this book is a guy called Frederick Hudson, okay, um, who's a successful African-American entrepreneur. And he's the founder of a startup called Pigeonly, okay. um, which is essentially a communications platform. But the population that he caters to is family members who have a loved one in prison oh, and wow. keeping them in touch with one another. Um, interesting. You know, so there is a social purpose to it. Sure. But just in straight business terms, it's been very successful. Uh, it's been hailed by Forbes as a top company. It's been supported by Y Combinator, which is probably the top-notch or most-known um, startup accelerator. Sure, but let me give you Frederick's backstory, which okay. is what's uh, so inspiring. So Frederick grew up in a poor community, um, raised by a single mother, as I understand, who was very entrepreneurial in just making ends meet and, you know, making the best out of hard circumstances. Sure. So Frederick learned quite a bit from her. Um, I think he was in the military. He was honorably discharged. You know, so this is a good guy. Um And unfortunately, when he was young, he made a bad, bad decision with one of the businesses he was trying to run. Sure. Um, And I think he did something like he shipped marijuana through the mail with his mailing company or something. Okay. And it was a bad choice. It was, you know. Yeah. uh, And he ended up in prison. um, And... If there is any place where you have no control over your life, it's prison. Uh, Not that I've been there, but everything I hear, and especially from Frederick. So the guy is in a really tough spot. Um, And he says that being in prison, you're immediately told, this is the end. Nobody's going to hire you after this. You're worth nothing. You know, give up.
0: Wow, that's sad. Uh,
1: It is really sad, especially considering how many people, you know, make mistakes and and end up there. Um, So he thought, okay, I still have choices to make here. There's a lot that I can't control. But what I can control is deciding who I want to be and what I'm going to make out of this four years that I'm here. Interesting. And I've disappointed a lot of people. I know my mom in particular is hurt by this, you know, that I've made these choices And that's not what I have to give to the world. So I'm gonna spend my time working towards who I wanna be. That's great. So, you know, and I say this because there are six characteristics that we say make up Type R's. Um, Let me see if I get them all off the top of my head here. (laughs) Sure. um, First is being adaptable, um, having a healthy relationship to control, which I'm just telling you about with Frederick. Sure. Uh, Continually learning, um, leveraging the support of others, uh, having a deep-seated sense of purpose, and being actively engaged or or taking action. Interesting. Um, So I tell you that partway through this story with Frederick so that you can keep your ears open for some of the things that he's doing and what makes him type R. Sure. Um, So, you know, he's in prison. He's decided... This is who I want to be. I want to be this upstanding person who makes a broader contribution. He starts going to the library every day, and he's devouring all of the business literature he can find. Um, He starts getting them to order stuff in, and he essentially gives himself a self-taught MBA. Wow. He comes out, and while he's in prison, he's had this idea that becomes the foundations for Pigeon Lee. So prisoners earn very, very little, yet the costs for them to keep in touch with family members is very high. Okay. Um, and on the social side of things, those inmates who do keep in touch with family are far less likely to end up back in prison. Oh. So after they get out, they go on, they do other things with their lives, and being rooted in family and community then keeps them out of prison and helps them kind of learn and turn that, that experience into a lesson that projects them forward instead of going back. Sure. Um, so Frederick has, um, this idea, he starts to build his business and it's really hard cause he's, you know, excuse me for saying there's nothing wrong with being a young white guy or Ivy league educated But there's a certain amount of privilege in it, and it's privilege that Frederick didn't have. Um, So when he starts trying to raise funds, you know, he's coming up against all sorts of bias and prejudice. Um, But he persists. He is kind of leveraging the support of others around him who believe in him, who have different ideas of how he can pivot and adapt. Um, But he's also saying, OK, remember, what can I control and what can't I? Interesting. I can't change certain people's, you know, unconscious bias about me or the way that they think, but I can re-channel my energy towards people who kind of get what I'm about sure. or, you know, go speak to um, what my experience is and how it's a business advantage. So he finally gets funding. He's built this business over several years. I think it's like a $5 million plus um, wow. startup at this point. That's great. And the final piece to bring it through to the business side, um, before I, I bring you back in Sure, here. no, Sorry. this is
0: great. It's good.
1: Um, so last year, he gets a frantic call from their uh, televo- telephone providers. Okay. Um, so remember that Pigeonly is a communications platform, an online communications platform. Sure. Um, and the service providers call him frantically and say that there are suddenly all of these um, accounts that are being made from overseas. So what's happened is somebody has hacked their security system and has gotten through and made thousands and thousands of faulty uh, of fake accounts okay. And what happens when those accounts are created is that verification calls get made and get made and get made and get made um, and these are to like you know Nigeria, Japan, right. Cuba, so it's racking up huge amounts of phone bill costs for Pigeon Lee wow. trying to verify these, faulty, uh, these fake accounts. So it turns into a crisis quickly. And, you know, Frederick's initial instinct is, all right, we're just going to shut it down, you know, the international branch of the business. Don't let these bad guys, you know, do what they're doing. But he does what many of us want to do, which is control the outside world you know, okay. control somebody else's behavior. And he has to step back and think back to what he learned, um, whether consciously or subconsciously, these type R skills uh, that he's developed over years and his time in prison. He says, okay, actually, I can't control the outside world, um, but what I can do is work with my team draw on the knowledge of allies of ours like Skype that, you know, also operate in certain spaces and, um, come up with some better solutions. So he gets his team involved, um, you know, from the tech side, from the communication side, uh, you know, the HR side, what have you. And they come up with various solutions, including, um, you know, tightening their system, changing how verification is done, what have you. Well, the outcome is so much better than had they just shut down the business and kind of tried to um, block out people. They essentially, uh, on one hand, improve their product. They end up gaining a much greater reputation because people hear that they've gone through all of this, like testing and revising. So it creates more business from overseas than before. Um, It gains the interest and attention of the investors, as I understand it. I hope I'm telling this uh, story right. Sure. Uh, If you meet Frederick one day. Um, (laughs) But one of the best things that comes out of it is suddenly Frederick's team has a whole new level of buy-in. Yeah. Until then... You know, they had been operating in this way where it was like he's dad or he's captain of the ship. And the responsibility for the success of the company falls on his shoulders. Um, and this really shifted things because, one, they suddenly got firsthand why certain security issues or kind of nitpicky protocol type stuff was really important and critical to the success of the business and their salaries and, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it gave them this sense of ownership, which was like, hey, we got brought in and we got to own coming up with a solution and now we feel invested. And, you know, so people started to come forward much more proactively when they would see potential problems or areas of risk um, where they might then have a different kind of security breach or, you know, um issues of customer dissatisfaction. So, you know, it was a long journey. And I told you that whole um bit, I guess, to bring you the full way and show how we um, as type Rs, we start by building our own skills. Sure. We take that into our businesses or our startups, um, into our leadership, our teams. Um, and keep in mind that you know, there's a lot of reframing that we do along the way. And sometimes we have to look back to other circumstances where we've been successful at making it through hard times to remind ourselves like, okay, we can do this. Um but one of the things about type Rs and and Frederick as well is that they also have a larger impact. Sure. So Frederick has built a successful business. You know, he first he's built his own skills and his leadership and his team and you know um and what have you but he's also doing it in a way that helps solve a bigger challenge which is you know you don't want people who end up in prison continuously going back and going back and going back um and his deep sense of purpose and commitment to that community has also helped drive his success um You know, one, he has insight into how to serve that community effectively in a way that others don't. And there have been quite a few others who have tried to come into that space who don't have firsthand experience and therefore aren't the same um, advantage. Sure. Um, You know, but in, for instance, that crisis last year, Frederick's dedication to serving people was part of what helped push him and his team through it being really difficult and a bit disheartening at times.
0: Sure. no, I I think that's that's really great. I, I love stories like that. I, I think it's it's quite fascinating. but I'm curious to know then and and maybe it's kind of a stupid question. but like if somebody, how does somebody become kind of like a type R personality? is it is it kind of like a you're constantly working at it? you kind of born with it, Um, because I I think you kind of need to work at it kind of constantly. Is that how you kind of see it, or or how do you describe it?
1: Well, first of all, I'm going to step back. Um, We've played off this notion of type A and type B personalities. Sure. Uh, At the same time, type R isn't really a personality personality. it's more a mindset, a okay. skill set, but also an identity. You know, do sure. you consider yourself a type R person or a type R business? Um, and part of that is saying it's not innate, uh, it's not our personality, or, you know, it's not the um, innate nature of a business. Uh, on one hand, we probably, as individuals or groups of people, we um, already have some of the skills, and we can always learn and work uh, and build more. Um, so there is this process of continual learning, and we might be more type R in certain parts of our lives or certain parts of our business, um, or certain ways in which we engage with, you know, the the challenges of the day that sure. we hear about in the news. Um, but there's always more to be learned. Um, So, really, how do you start becoming Type R? Well, one of the foundations is understanding where you are today. Okay. Uh, So, when something difficult happens, do you catastrophize and say, oh, God, you know, this is the end or the beginning of the end? Um, Or do you say, all right, this is hard, but I have faith that either, you know, myself or my team or uh, us as an organization – can find a way to reframe and make something out of this and continue to learn and grow. So it really starts with um, a mindset or a culture um, is often what you would say of a collective mindset or kind of the mindset of a a company or a business. Um, And so some of that is about starting by reflecting And it's often hard to pinpoint that when you're in the midst of a crisis or a challenge. Um, So it's helpful to look back to past situations where you have a little bit of distance and removal and say, "Okay, what was our first reaction? um, When, you know, if you're an individual, when I lost my job, what was my first reaction? Sure. Was I able to quickly reframe and move beyond that reaction? Is that still my initial reaction? Um, It could be that a leader is sitting down and reflecting on this themselves, or that an organization is sitting down as a team and having an away day and kind of thinking about um, something that happened in their history and how the different teams reacted or what the conversations were centered around. so, you know, we really have to understand our starting point to then think about, okay, this is where we are. What do we need to work towards? How do we reframe? Um, how do we build in some of these other skills?
0: Sure. No, I, I think that's that's really great. It's interesting because I think a lot of people, and you touched on it a second ago, like you, you can work towards kind of anything. And you, you brought it up a few minutes ago, and I, I think it makes sense, like, you can learn a lot of stuff kind of just from you know reading books like type r and, and other books you know related to maybe like other business skills or there's a lot of like you know sometimes free resources online for for certain types of skills that people are, are learning so like I'm not saying don't go to post-secondary but you don't necessarily have to go there to learn some of the stuff right and be successful and you know throughout our conversation today we've kind of i think proven that that you could kind of take either path and obviously some paths are harder than others and some people have you know are dealt better hands of cards in in life than others but you can kind of get through it and and even people that maybe you look up to still struggle with certain things and are constantly working on parts of themselves is that kind of a fair statement
1: yeah and i think um unfortunately we do ourselves a disservice by not talking openly about Our failures and our struggles. Yeah. And I think this gets amplified in um, a time of social media and kind of talking yourself up constantly or your business or or what have you. And so we give one another the perception that things are easy or that you're either a success or you're not, or we're not honest about the fact that we had different kinds of support or... Um, you know, resources that some of us could fall back on that others might not be able to in terms of finance or in terms of um, encouragement or mentorship. Sure. Um, so, you know, we all will be starting from a different place and have different assets um, and, and different areas where we wish we had more support in our lives. But, you know, first of all, we're our own best resource. Sure. Um, and that's not to say... That you have to do it alone. In fact, Type R's are fabulous at realizing that they can't, mm-hmm. and that they have to leverage resources from outside. Whether that's you know new perspectives, emotional support, um, new kinds of knowledge, or new kinds of technical support, you know what have you. Um, but uh, to come back to your question, you know there are different ways of learning. Um, We learn quite a lot through adversity, and that's why you see it come up in world religions and you know, today's comic book heroes, like there is something fundamental about us learning from the challenges in our lives. And yet, as I was talking about, we feel compelled in today's day and age to make it seem like, oh, I just was born naturally successful or yeah. we only feel comfortable talking about our challenges and failures once we've succeeded and we can show the arc of, oh yeah, I failed and I failed fast and but it's all okay because now I'm... Mr. or Miss like uber successful startup person sure, you know, we're gonna fail or have really hard things happen that Sometimes we don't know why they happened and it doesn't lead to a success But maybe we've learned something and that learning is different than textbook learning or getting your MBA or or what have you so you know wherever you are in your life or wherever your startup is your your business or your community we can always learn and grow more. Um, and there are different ways of doing that. And I think that we need more dialogue about, um, the fact that, you know, we're not all going to take the same path and that our own paths are valid. Um, and some of that, quite honestly, I've found there are a lot of gatekeepers, sure, uh, and yeah. some of that gatekeeping keeps a certain elitism, um, you know, some of it does have to do with, yes, certain people have trained or have certain kinds of experience, but I also think that um, some of it's just a, a reflection of the, you know, growing inequality that we see in the world and um, power and, you know, access to media outlets and what have you being concentrated more and more.
0: Sure. I do think, though, that the internet is helping break down those kind of barriers a bit, but it's still a huge issue. Is that fair in your experience? Yeah.
1: I mean, look, you've got a hugely successful podcast. I don't know where you started, but I'm assuming <laughs> well, part of this was a process of building over time.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, to be 100% honest with you, I started this to get over my fear of public speaking.
1: Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks.
0: So I I think, but like, I I think what comes out of that is you need to figure out how to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And I'm not saying if you completely fear public speaking, for example, that you need to start talking at a ton of events. But I think just maybe... Talking in front of, you know, your coworkers or a couple coworkers at the beginning, and then maybe going to a networking event by yourself or with a friend. Like, do little things to work up to whatever you fear, right? Because I think that helps, right? Grow you. You never know where you go. And I also think, at least from what people have told me about kind of the show, is the fact that. I'm willing to have open conversations about why I do some of the things I do. Like, I I think a lot of people, at least in my experience, wouldn't tell people that they started a show because they feared public speaking and go listen to some of the early shows. Some of them are like, oh, wow, you know, and I still think (laughs) some of them um, sometimes, like, I'm still working on it, right? And I think just people openly talking about – why they're successful or not successful or, or why they failed at something, I, I think is really inspiring for themselves and other people. And I also think that the people that say that they planned on being where they are, sure, they, they might've achieved something that they set out to achieve and, and that's great and I'm not trying to take it away from them. But I think majority of people, if not every person it's a little bit of like created luck you know timing um you know and working at it and failing a ton and picking yourself back up to actually get to where you want to achieve right and and that journey that people talk about some people say you know oh it took me overnight it's like no it didn't tell me your real background and if you probably worked at it for you know maybe a decade and sure you might have done a company and it took off in a matter of weeks or months but if you didn't have that like 10 years of experience before that you probably wouldn't have been that successful right like that's my experience have you kind of found that with with people as well well,
1: again, coming back to my own story, I mean, it's been a process of iteration over sure. so many years, and I in particular probably have a broader um, background than many, in part because I'm eternally curious uh, and I make connections across, you know, big picture um or, or connections that other people don't necessarily always see. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's been entirely a process of iteration and learning and failing and um, thinking about, you know, what I contribute, um, you know, what's my purpose. So how do my own interests and what I love to do, my own skills, but then also what the world needs, how do those overlap Sure. Um, to, you know, create my sense of purpose, which in many ways, I think when people find those overlaps then leads to success, but it's often not a straight line. Um, and I, I do hear that again and again from many people. Uh, sure. There are some people who have had a very linear path of, you know, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from such and such age and I studied and studied. Um, but I think more often than not, in today's world, uh, we're faced with constant disruptions and challenges and mounting stresses and pressures that mean that uh, many of us are having to adapt and pivot and uh, learn from our failures or fears or shortcomings and um, take the learning from that to then create new behaviors or new efforts that are more successful for the realities that we're living
0: in sure i also think too it seems like there's still this barrier of like once somebody makes it whatever that means maybe financial or they're famous or or whatever in their like vertical that some people refuse to talk about kind of what they did good and bad to kind of get to where they are that they feel like it's this like secret that they can't talk about and i always found that kind of weird right because why wouldn't you nobody's going to follow your exact path like it's completely impossible for somebody else to like get to where you are by following exactly what you did because you grow up in different kind of every way shape or form right and so i don't know why people wouldn't some people just don't talk about it which i always kind of see like it it almost should keep you on your toes if somebody's trying to maybe take away what you have or or whatnot whatever that means right and I think also just defining what success means to you because like some people money's all that matters and other people it doesn't matter that much at all as long as they you know can have a place to stay and and eat a few meals a day right and so Have you kind of found that as well, just kind of with writing the book and and the people that you've kind of worked with over the years that just defining kind of what success means to you is, is kind of at the core, really, really important because it's thrown in your face that if you don't live in a mansion and drive like a fancy car or have a fleet of fancy cars, you're kind of a failure. But in a lot of cases, like that doesn't really appeal to me at all. And I don't really see that as successful personally.
1: Well, I mean, there's actually research that shows um, that happiness declines after a certain level of earned income. I believe $80,000 is the threshold. So um, I should say that through my career, uh, I have worked and lived in a number of developing countries and have now worked on five continents. Wow. Uh, from working with some of the world's poorest, poorest people in remote communities early on in my career to working with some of, you know, the most powerful leaders in the world, both in business and in politics. Um, so I have been really blessed with seeing such a vast range of um, human experience, success, challenge. Sure. Um And I think you're exactly right to say that we should be defining uh, success for ourselves, particularly given that um, there is a decline of happiness or well-being beyond a certain point of um, having material gains or means. Um, And so, you know, I think that that's fundamental to living a good life for each of us, defining what that is. Um, we don't talk extensively about it in our book, but it is, I think, important in general, and it's something that I'm reflecting on as I continue to, um, you know, build my own business, um, do media interviews, sure. engage with people who are successful in the the traditional, ways um and way for myself what's gonna lead to success um and how much that matters as opposed to having a sense of meaning um and i say meaning because meaning and happiness are not always the same totally um so people who have a happy life it's often seen as being kind of carefree or what have you whereas people who have meaning in their life go through hardship and take risks. You know, they'll risk being in a situation of hardship, um, but because with it comes a deeper sense of meaning and life being worth something and making a broader contribution. Um, But again, some of that means taking risk and maybe being successful by having meaning, whereas you could be um, successful... But having protected yourself uh, from the outside world the whole time, either through the means of wealth or um, only engaging with certain kinds of people.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. But, But sadly, we're out of time. So maybe let's close the show with mentioning more people, where people can get more information about yourself and the book.
1: Sure. Um, So again, the book is Type R, Transformative Resilience for Thriving in a Turbulent World, Uh, www.type-r-resilience.com. I'm going to say it again, Sure. www.type-r-resilience.com. And I'm Alma Marston, and I'm so pleased to have been on the show with you today.
0: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time into your, your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: You too, Kevin. Take care.
0: Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.